Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Sexplanations podcast, episode 20. I'm Dr. Lindsay Doe, clinical sexologist, host of this show, and with me today is a very special guest, Dr. Aaron Carroll, to answer your sex questions. Hi, Aaron. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here and really excited about your book. Can you tell the audience title and synopsis? Sure. I'm so bad at promoting it. But anyway, so it. I'll do practice. my best. It's uh, it's called The Bad Food Bible. It comes out in November on November 7th from pretty much anywhere you'd, have, you'd buy books. Uh, it takes a lot of the stuff I did in healthcare triage episodes and that I've written in New York Times columns about food and sort of brings it all together to talk about how little science actually knows about nutrition and how when experts <laughs> have been telling us for years about foods to avoid and things that are bad for us, how often they get it wrong. And how it turns out that a lot of the stuff that we think of as really bad for us or unhealthy just isn't that bad. And in fact, sometimes is even on the other side of healthy. So we should be a lot more relaxed about what we're eating uh, and feel a lot more free to, to eat a wide variety of things, including things that are traditionally not, quote unquote, good for you. I am so excited. I've only read the first paragraph of it, <laughs> but I'm already sold. It's so good because you talk about that experience of being out with a friend and wondering, should I eat the healthy yeah. item or should I eat the delicious item? How is this person going to read me? And in reality... I choose the delicious one now every time. Oh, and it, it rarely so fails. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I eat a wide variety of foods and all kinds of stuff, but I, I'm not afraid of... You know, the stuff, I'm not afraid of cholesterol. I'm not afraid of eating meat. I'm not afraid of eating fat. I'm not afraid of, you know, things that a lot of people worried about, whether it be GMOs or gluten or MSG. All of these things, coffee, even alcohol, you know, Mm -hmm. as long as you're doing it safely. The evidence against these things is much weaker than you think. uh, And often there's a lot of positive evidence as well. Okay. Do you believe in aphrodisiacs? I think it's, if, (laughs) <laughs> Not in the sense that I think there's there's something that in a randomized controlled blinded study would work. Yeah. I do think that some things work for some people. Now, how much of that is, you know, any drug you take, anything in medicine has a combination of placebo effect, meaning like what we think it's going to do and a biologic effect or what right. it might do inside the body. And how much of that is the former or the latter is unclear for even drugs. Uh, and I think aphrodisiacs are just another thing like that. Like how much is it doing because we think it's going to work versus how much is it, a, is it a biological effect? I think it's probably more the former. Mm-hmm. There's just not as much hard evidence in the latter. But on the other hand, so much of this stuff is unstudied that if you did a study and prove something work, I believe it. Well, I think a big component of the foods being an enhancer yeah. or an arouser is because you're eating food. Right. And so you're getting energy that then enables you to be sexual. Yeah. And if it puts you in a good mood or it makes you relaxed or yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would have no trouble believing that. You also have a book about sex. We did a book on myths about sex that came out a couple of years ago, yes. Can you remind me of the title? It was um, Don't Put That in There and 69 Other Health Myths. 69. You're so clever. I didn't do that again. That was, I think, my co-author. Well, thank you for allowing your co-author to be kinky like that. Absolutely. Although I think she would die if she heard you say (laughs) that. She's probably more conservative than I am. We once had this amazing fight because – and she's going to die if she ever hears this. But uh, she kept spelling cum, C-O-M-E, and I kept arguing that it was C-U-M. Mm-hmm. And we got into a really heated argument about this. And I was like, this is – someday if we get on Oprah, this is what we're doing. <laughs> we're we're going to talk, talk about, about is it come with a U or cum. come with an O? And, like, and, she was, and she was just – she was mortified. Because you were writing it a lot in your book. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, and, okay. how many? And, and, and I kept correcting her, and she kept correcting me. And I don't know. Is there a correct way? I think it's C-U-M. I think that that's how it's I spelled. use C-U-M when right. I'm referring to semen. Right. I use C-O-M-E when I'm referring to the verb, to orgasm. Fascinating. I wonder, like, is there, like, a dictionary that, that says what's quote-unquote correct, or is that... I don't know. Let us know in the comments. I would be, I don't know. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sort of fat. But I was really pushing hard that it was C-U-M. This is years ago, of course. So I, For the know. verb, too. To be honest with you, I'm actually trying to think. I'm not sure that in the book we would have, I mean, the, the noun came up far more than the book. Because I think we would have said orgasm. I just don't think we referred to it as Yeah, and, and see, C-U-M would be slang. Right. So it just depends on whether or not you're yeah. using slang. But if... Yeah, if you're using C-O-M-E for slang of semen, right. I, I wouldn't pass that. There no. you go. See, I was right. You I win, was right, Aaron. Rachel. I was right. <laughs> it's official. It's Explanation <laughs> Podcast. Okay, before we go into more questions and conversation, I want to give a shout out to our supporters on Patreon.com slash Podcast. Laura Schuster, Donna Flint, Maddie O'Sullivan, Paul Nixon, and the Millers. You're amazing, and so we have this test question in your honor. Now it's time to hold our testes. All right, Aaron, you get to answer this on behalf of the audience. Oh, God, okay. I love etymology, the study of origins of words, and so today's question is the etymology of doctor. It comes from the Latin docere. D- I'll spell it. D-O-C-E-R-E. This is where all my years of Latin should come in handy. Okay. I wish I is had. It to cut? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you options. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, <now laughs> doctor I'm comes from the Latin word meaning to cut. That's interesting. That is not one of your choices. Okay, good. See, then I, I ignore <laughs> what I said. I was just trying to fool you. Go ahead. A, to soothe. B, to heal. C, to preach. And D, and or, I should say, or D, to teach. I'm going to go with to soothe. I tricked you well. It's D, to teach. To teach, really? Yeah. I took so many years of Latin, my teachers would be mortified. This is horrible. I I wish I had taken Latin for all of those reasons, but I have not taken Latin. I do remember, though, having a teacher in, I think, grad school explaining to me that the meaning of doctor is really teacher. Mm. And I loved that, that doctors are learners, and really their primary purpose is to take the knowledge that they glean from seeing patients and trial and error and passing that on to other people, be it in the medical field or not, so that we all you know, have this hydraulic lift and become smarter individuals. That sounds great. Isn't it beautiful? It really is. I love it. That sounds great. I like, though, that you also think it means to cut and to soothe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're nursing my cynicism. There you go. <laughs> it's lovely. So what we're going to do is go back to an episode of Ask Lindsay, and I'm going to read for you the questions that I got at that time and ask that you give your perspective as somebody who does work in the medical field, mm-hmm. someone who is an author, an expert, a YouTuber. You have a channel called Healthcare Triage, yes. which I love. It's so great. You're so you are such a great person. Oh. No. <laughs> so are you. Thank you. So, I would love it if you could answer the questions from your perspective. Okay. If we end up talking about other things, that's great too. All right. My boyfriend and I were enjoying each other orally, and he came—oh, this is C-A-M-E. 
Well, came in the past yeah, is all, yeah, I would yeah. agree. We yep, both agree. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, that's good. Uh, without ejaculating, is this real or is he faking it? No, that actually that absolutely can happen. I won't say it's common, but I absolutely do believe you can you can orgasm without ejaculation. Correct. I mean, from my experience, I would say the same thing. You can separate orgasm and ejaculation, so they can be two different experiences. But also, you could have a retrograde ejaculation mm-hmm. where the person is ejaculating of backward, yep. and you don't realize that it has happened until urination when the semen absolutely out. Okay, next question. How can biosex males, or what we may phrase as males assigned at birth, experience serial orgasms? How can they? Yeah. You mean you mean physically how can they, or is it just— Yes. Because I'd be like, yes, they can. How? I, you know, it is just if they are—you know, I, th- I think this actually runs with age, but, uh, you know, certainly I would say younger people are more, more, probably more likely to do this, but they absolutely can. As long as they have had enough time for themselves in between orgasms, absolutely males can have more than one orgasm. I'm not sure what—why would people think you couldn't? So this is coming from the idea that—I'm going to say males, and please just— understand what we mean by that, Um, that they need a refractory period. So this time of kind of homeostasis between orgasm where their system goes all the way back to the beginning of arousal, then they have to go back up, plateau, orgasm. But in my experience, I have seen males orgasm one after the other. I have raced a man with my ability to have serial Hmm. orgasms, and he has won twice in the time that I did a single one. And that's impressive um, to me because they are taught that that's something that they can't do when in actuality, yeah, yeah. That's fascinating because it's like my my experience has been that I've, I've found that women, many of the women are, again, referring to, I guess, you know, perhaps people born as women or, mm-hmm. or that they find that they have said that they sometimes have a more difficult time achieving orgasms than males do. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just so easy for males to have orgasms, at least it's just the general perception. And therefore, well, of course, males can just have more orgasms. It's just not a big deal. Um, so I don't know. It would not have occurred to me to think that that would be more difficult for a male. I mean, certainly from a biologic perspective, it is not like you ejaculate all your sperm when you have an ejaculation or that you've used up whatever <laughs> it would be in the come with the you. Um, but uh, so absolutely, you should be able to, to do it again. But I, I don't know that I would have said that it should be easier for women to have multiple orgasms than, than for men or that they would need more time. I'd be interested if there's a study about that. I have no okay. idea. Okay. Do, we'll do the research. The way that I described it is that because you can separate orgasm from ejaculation, what um, individuals will do is they won't ejaculate. They'll orgasm, 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 mm. and then orgasm with ejaculation. Hmm. Uh, next question. I was told by my doctor that I have an inverted uterus. What does this mean? So I think, and again, I'm not an obstetrician, but I think in general, sort of the uterus uh, tips one way. And in some women, it actually tips the other way, which can, I think, sometimes be somewhat complicating in terms of pregnancy, um, but otherwise doesn't mean really anything at all. Yeah, just diversity. Yeah. So what I've read is that four-fifths of the... Um, is it uterus? Mm-hmm. Uteri? Uteri. Uteri tilt toward the belly button, mm-hmm. the anterior wall, and then you have 20% that tilt backward. And this can just complicate things. Well, like you said, with pregnancy, but also if you have constipation yes. and then there's pressure and all yep. sorts of and things. And when you're pregnancy, it can be sometimes those kinds of things. Yeah. It's just that it's, it's pushing on different parts of the body than women would normally feel. 
We've got you. All right. This says, Lindsay, what's wrong with male circumcision? Which, if you don't know, I'm going to tell you right now, I am very, very, very opposed to routine male circumcision mm-hmm. in infants. And so you can take whatever stance you want, yeah. but I don't want to no. surprise you. We did an episode on this because I also wrote a column on this, and it was it was not received well. Um, <laughs> and I tried to be fair. I mean, I laid all my cards on the table ahead of time. And we talked – what I tried to do was run through the reason – the health reasons that have been ascribed to it mm-hmm. and then to explain – that even if those health reasons are statistically significantly true, they're just so small that it, it, it's really hard to, to justify mm-hmm. routine circumcision for health reasons. Now, in certain populations where the risk of HIV is incredibly high, mm-hmm. those numbers might be slightly different where some statistically significant might make a difference. So at the end, I, I came down to the, look, there's probably no good health reason to do this. Um, some people do it for cultural reasons. Some people do it for religious reasons. I try not to judge. Um, for those. But I would agree with you that the health rationale just does not appear to be there. No, because it's like telling people that they should remove the children's teeth mm-hmm. in order to prevent cavities. I don't think you're wrong. I, and that, which is why I think, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics has gotten into hot water because I think it, it actually came down originally on for circumcision for the health reasons. Um, and now it's sort of backtracked and sort of said, look, it's just not it's just not. And the numbers just aren't there. Like, I mean, somebody that wanted to make an argument is, is trying to say, like, yeah, we might prevent like one in 100,000 cases of penile cancer. It's penile cancer. So rare that no, it's like yeah. it's not it's not right. Right. Um, the numbers don't add up. Now, again, I take it back. There are some studies uh, in, in areas of, for instance, in Africa where there's an incredibly high risk and high prevalence of HIV where there may be some beneficial health reasons in trying to prevent HIV. But that's not the United States of America where there is really not a good health case to be made at all. So it gets down to culture. And I get that this is a tough – people uh, – viewers of our show did not – I tried to say exactly what I said. I'm also saying, look, I'm a Jewish male. Clearly, I was raised in a certain way. Um, it is part of, you know, some people's religious practices. So I was trying to lay all those cards on the table, and it did still did not go over well you know, on our show. Like, we got some comments that sort of crossed the line for me. Oh, so, but it, no, that. it is what it is. People come back, um, but it's it is a tough conversation to have. But so, so I guess getting back to the original question, yeah, I, I would agree that there's no good health rationale. Agreed. I hope everyone is hearing that for what we're saying. Like, leave the body alone. The reason we started doing it was not for, at least to my knowledge and research, was not for health reasons. And I feel like now, because we have the practice, then we just try and connect it to health reasons. And if somebody said, yeah, removing your eyelids is going to prevent you from having, uh, what, what is the clinical term for sand in your eyes? sand in your eyes <laughs> <laughs> then you know maybe we would do that but i don't think it's justified no just, and it's like and, and you know around the world it's not it, it's not nearly as common as it is in the united states i mean it is it is definitely a cultural practice ah oh, sillies so terrible all right there's no nudity involved no contraception i can't remember whether or not he ejaculated i can't remember any wet spots can i get pregnant from this i would say yes <laughs> That I mean, this is my experience as a pediatrician. It's just like it is. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of people saying things like this. But mm-hmm. if, you know, if there's yes, because sperm appear before ejaculation. As long as there are sperm and there's some way contact with 
with the vagina or any way that can reach the egg, it is possible to get pregnant. It gets rarer and rarer and less and less likely. But if you say can, then my answer would be yes. Did you yeah. differ? Well, uh, I don't remember what I said in the video. They did say there's no nudity involved. But I- All right. So, but it's still – is nudity like if, if somebody unzips their pants and takes their penis out? Is that nudity? Yes. Oh, that would be considered nudity? Yes. What if you just reached into the pants? Is that nudity? Yes. And what if you transferred it somehow without getting undressed? No. I mean, I agree with you that if somebody is asking, can I, that they need to be talking with another human being face-to-face who can evaluate their situation and do a pregnancy test. I think you can do common sense to try to be like that there's very little way. But but I find that it's like yeah, there's it is possible to get pregnant. Biology is created a way that it wants everybody to get pregnant. So it's like it is <laughs> yes. possible. So if you're engaging in sexual activity, you know, clearly there's more there's less safe, more safe in terms of your risk of getting pregnant. So the story you laid out is very, very unlikely. But is it greater than zero? I'm like I Probably. <laughs> There's a Sexplanations episode called Where Do Babies Come From? Give that one a watch and then you'll know. Aside from scissoring, can you explain more about lesbian sex? Do you know what scissoring is? Yes, Dr. I know what scissoring Aaron is. Carroll? I'm just sort of that, just I'm trying to figure out exactly what I would say to answer that question. I would say sex in general is just pleasing each other. Like I, Aww. the same, I don't, I don't know that what would be different. You know, clearly there are things that that different genders can do with each other, but there are a lot of things that would be the same. Yeah. So I think a lot of the stuff would be exactly the same as you describe. I don't know, heterosexual sex would be the same as yeah. as lesbian sex. So yeah. I, I'm just that's why I'm sort of like I don't know now scissoring. I guess I think even if you were in, in heterosexual sex, you could still scissor. Oh yeah. Yeah. So so I would say like all the other things that you would do. Sexual activity. Right. There we go. Okay. Uh, so I get that you're not supposed to actively clean your vagina, but what if you're masturbating with a stream of water? Is that dangerous? I don't think so. I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't think it's a reason that you would need to clean your vagina. Um, but I don't. Is masturbating? Well, I think what they're saying is since you're not supposed to douche, right? You're right. not supposed to run water into the vagina. Is it problematic if you masturbate with water? But are you talking about like? Oh my God, if my wife, my my wife hears this, she's gonna love this. But is uh, <laughs> when you're are you talking about like a stream that is directed at the clitoris, or are they trying to direct the stream into their vagina? Yeah, I don't know. Because I would say masturbating the stream of water that's just aimed at your clitoris for stimulation, then no, that would not be dangerous. I wouldn't even think that having water get into your vagina would be da- – I mean, people swim all the time. Water gets in the vagina. The vagina is amazingly good at cleaning itself. Yeah. I love this. I want to just keep you so <laughs> we can, like, do explanations all the time, and we'll just tag team everyone's questions, and the world will be a better place. There you go. How are you supposed to know your sexual orientation if you haven't ever kissed someone? I don't know that kissing would be necessary. I think it's, you know, part of that is going to be attraction and part of that is going to be, you know, how comfortable you feel and and where you sort of feel your desires going. And I don't know that having to kiss them would necessarily answer that one way or the other. Some cultures don't kiss at all. Yeah. Yeah. Kissing, if you think about it, is a really odd thing. It's kind of gross. Yeah, like why? Especially mouths are filthy. Yeah. Like why? I mean, it's so bad for thinking about transmitting diseases and everything else. So I don't know. No, I would not think that kissing is mandatory at all. Yeah, we should take all of the anxiety around circumcision and refocus it to kissing. Oh. Like, you want to take something on as an unhealthy practice? Kissing. Yeah, it's really, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird thing if you really do think about it. But do you do it? Yes. 
Yes, but it's like, but it is, but it's like, but it's always funny because there's this, there's this old movie called Uncle Buck, and this is where I'm dating myself. Where uh, um, it's a John Candy movie where like Macaulay Culkin is a, is like this kid he's babysitting for, and he sees like his adolescent sister like kissing some guy, and then they go, oh my god, I think he slipped her the tongue, and Macaulay Culkin deadpan goes, that's a pretty risky thing to be doing during flu season. I'm like, that, exactly, exactly, and so I use use that all the time, and nobody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I think I'm much less likely to kiss than maybe other things like mm-hmm. hugging or hand holding. I would say all exactly. I'm probably more likely to do all of those things as well. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I am abstaining from it right. completely, but certainly I am aware of what is in people's mouths. But it, yeah. yeah. It's all it's it's also one of those things too. I watch people who are like manic about making sure that other people are did you drink from that glass? Did you do it's like mm-hmm. but you'll can't like that's yep. way worse. <laughs> I don't know. People are strange. Yeah. We focus and we yes, worry about we the wrong things and we ignore the things that are important. Yep. Yes, we do. Uh what is the difference between attraction and fantasies? Well, I guess if I guess if I was pushed, I'd say that attraction is probably towards something direct that I'm pointing at. Some another person and fantasy is something I'm creating in my own head. And so if I'm attracted to someone else, then I'm attracted to them. A fantasy is what I imagine of them. And so those are not the same thing because what you probably imagine about other people and the reality of what they are are probably never exactly the same. That was so articulate. No, I have no idea. I could be totally wrong. That You're was my smart. Guess. You should write books. Ah. Do you think you can be in touch with your sexuality without ever having sex before? Hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of like the kissing question. Yeah. I just think that, yeah, it's not necessary to have sex to be in touch with your sexuality. I agree with you completely. This is a question that wasn't uh, brought up in that episode, but we've talked about before, and I would love to hear what your thoughts are on it. What does sexually active mean? So when someone goes into the doctor's office and the doctor is trying to evaluate their risk, they say, are you sexually active? And lots of people don't know how they're supposed to respond. So I would say, ironically enough, it's it's so... A good doctor, and certainly I'd say a good pediatrician, does not ask that question without follow-up. So okay. so sometimes people will start that way and ask if they're sexually active. And you if you get a yes, then it's you know, you're you're on the road and you're going down it. But if not, then it's sometimes you're you start listing out actual activities. Have you know, have you engaged in sexual intercourse with the opposite sex? Um, have you um, or even have you engaged in sexual intercourse with the opposite or the same sex? Or have you know, oral sex, or you know, have you you know, been touching the genitals or doing anything else. So you if wanna, that's, that's if I say no? No, I would say that I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think I'm just saying in my experience, this is what I've seen a lot of doctors do. That so, they'll go further. You know, if, it's if they yes don't get a no. yes, they try to push further to see if maybe they're misinterpreting that to, to try uh, to get down the line to see, like to make sure that if somebody says no to sexual activity, that there really is no sexual activity. Because sometimes you'll ask just the simple, a lot of times it's just for you're trying to be efficient. So if you say, are you sexually active? And they say, yes. You're like, okay, what kind of, then you can just ask them what kind of sexual activity are you engaging in okay. and then we'll talk about it. But if they say no, then you ask more questions to try to make sure that they're not ignoring oral sex or touching other people's genitals or more anything else that they might consider sexually active. But I would say also that you gotta, we got to own that physicians in general, pediatricians especially, I would say, are not asking because they're interested. Now, some are. I shouldn't discount all of them because they're trying to get them to have like healthy sex lives. They're interested in STDs and pregnancy. Yeah. And so they're just trying to rule out the things that they consider, quote unquote, risky. Right. And not trying to have a long discussion about how do you feel about, you know, touching someone's genitals or, you know, how do you, how do you, did you masturbate? Mm-hmm. No, 
They're not, most of them are not doing that. They're thinking about like, what are the activities that I'm mostly concerned about that could get someone an STD or get someone pregnant? Okay. Now you all know. But you should talk. I would say all the time, be honest with your doctor. Always. Tell them about sexual behavior. Yeah. I say all the time. My, I've written about this, but my doctor is an excellent doctor. And every time I go in for an office visit, she asks me if I'm sexually active. And then she asks me if I'm sexually active with people other than my wife. And that I know, is an excellent doctor. I know people who like are like, how dare she? But I'm like, no, that's... I know the answer is no, I'm, but, I, but I'm not offended by it. I know she's asking everybody, and I know she's interested in my safety and my health and that these are important questions to ask. So, and so I, I think it's great that my doctor asks those questions. So I, we should be honest with our doctors. They're, you can lie to them, but what's the point? Mm-hmm. They're only trying to help. Right. No, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the – I don't think they're doctors here, but the healthcare professionals who will do intake sessions and – They'll ask, are you in a relationship? The young woman will say yes, and then that's end of the conversation about contraception or STI prevention or testing or anything like that. So then I will get emails from these women who say, this is my experience. Yeah. No one asked me about uh, my girlfriend and my boyfriend in addition to my husband. Yeah. And no one asked me about whether or not my husband is seeing other people, et cetera, et cetera, or – yeah. Oh, my, my gosh. My wife is a nurse practitioner in a, a Indianapolis school system, um, teen clinic. Aww. And, like, she's so much better at this than I am. But it's, like, she has these conversations with, like, teens all the time who are just talking about, oh, and this and uncovering things that I'm sure their doctors are totally missing. Um, because, again, it's, I think it's just – it's a different focus. I think, you know, Amy's interested much more in, like, I'm invested. I'm – the whole health of this mm-hmm. student as part of school and education and learning. And it's the whole life course. And, unfortunately, I think sometimes doctors get more fixated on the medical side, which is STD and pregnancy prevention. So what would you encourage people to do differently as patients so that they can have that um, more honest relationship with a doctor or encourage their doctor to be a better doctor? So I think part of this is um, is uh, trying to be more honest with your physicians, but I think part of this is also recognizing the limitations of the medical profession and what you're actually going to get from them mm. and making sure that you have people in your life that you can talk to about these things that have information and knowledge and can help you, which may not always be doctors. Now, ideally, it could be, mm-hmm. um, but not every doctor is going to be good at this. It's just not it's not in their nature or it's just not not what they do. And so – and again, just I think even the way that doctors are taught to, to talk about you know, sex and everything, it, it comes down to often the way that we're educated is about pregnancy prevention and STD prevention and how do we fix it so you can get pregnant if you want to get pregnant. It is not part of some holistic – how do we make sexual health part of health? Mm-hmm. That's not that is not the medical school curriculum, um, and so in an ideal world it would be. Uh, but I think it's you know recognizing limitations, making sure that you get you have people you can trust in your life to to get that information and knowledge from. Like, I mean, parents ideally would be very good at this. <laughs> um, I like to think that we're pretty open with our kids in talking about sex. Certainly more than I would say like our parents were with, yeah. with us. Our kids ask questions which would horrify, I think, my parents all the time <laughs> and seem to know more. But I, but part of that is being just open and being able to talk about it You know, with, with your children would be ideally the best situation. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I think it's a, you know, it shouldn't be taught anywhere else, but that's just where you're going to have the bonds of trust uh, and the ability to, to ask questions that you might be afraid to ask other people. In a perfect world, doctors or you know, nurse practitioners or or other medical training professionals would also be good. I mean, clearly people like you are, yeah. are a resource as well. I mean, I think there are people out there. It's just not 
we don't talk about this. I, I can't remember who it was. I was reading something fascinating where somebody said, like, it's amazing that in all the talk of sex ed- education, nobody ever sort of talks about, like, oh, it feels really good or why masturbation is great or, you know, even just masturbation in general. Like, mm-hmm. that is never part of sex, at least no no. Sexual education yeah. I've seen. Certainly not something that I see doctors talking about. And yet we all know how common it is and how uh, you know important it is. And But that's just not how we do sex education. No. Nope. And it's so unfortunate. Yeah. Are you familiar with um, Joycelyn Elders, the of former course. Surgeon General, yeah. and how she actually said masturbation should be taught in schools as a form of and HIV I remember the backlash and, like, yeah. the horror show that happened after that, too. And I think a lot of doctors rolled their eyes at it. Not not at that she said it, but, like, they knew that that was going to happen. This is just right. – it's just not what we do. I, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago on, on just sort of the evidence behind abstinence-only education. And I'm still amazed that we're having this fight. Um, because this is how we think of sex education. It's how do we prevent it or prevent pregnancy or prevent STDs? That's, that's what we think of with respect to sex. Like that's, we have to like wall it off and prevent it and make it safe or something. Which is so silly. It's weird. It's just an odd thing. Because if if you grow up that way thinking like, oh, this is something dangerous and horrifying and I need to always be walled off against it. And then save it for the one you love. Right. (laughs) I don't know. It's odd. It is so odd and it's so awful. And I do wish that we could teach things like masturbation in schools from a very young age because I'm just thinking in terms of healthy relationships and how those dynamics would change if if I, as young Lindsay, knew that I could get off, please myself, you know, relieve that pressure that was telling me to have something inside of me very easily and on my own. I would not seek out these relationships mm. where I'm like, fix me, make it better, please me, yeah. right? I, I wouldn't be putting myself at risk for STIs or pregnancy. I wouldn't be, you know, like going from a partner who couldn't satisfy that urge to another partner or whatever. I could take care of it on mm-hmm. my own. Huge. That would be, that would make it a big difference. Yeah. And instead, I just remember, I mean, I, I don't, we didn't have much formal education in the school that I went to on sexual education, but I just remember being in general, being taught like, oh, masturbation's bad. Dirty, secret, bad, don't. And it's like, that's just weird. When, I mean, you realize how common it is, Mm -hmm. you know, on the other side of the, the, it's just, it's, I don't know. We still got lots of hangups. We do. Yeah, we do. It's pretty awful. Okay. So on that topic, let's do some kegels. Okay. I can count them for us if you'd like. Whatever. However you normally do this. Have you ever done kegels before? I don't think I have. Okay. Do you know how to do them? I think I do. All right. I mean, I know what they are. I just don't think it's... So you're working... And if, tell me if I'm saying this wrong. You're working your pubococcygeus right. muscles, your PCs. You're essentially clenching them the way you would to stop urination. And then you would relax them mm-hmm. and then clench them again. And we'll do a set of eight repetitions. Okay. And the listeners can do the same thing. Hopefully not get in a car wreck if you are commuting to work. Um, Just some exercise here. Not too much so that you're sore, um, but just enough so that you can improve your orgasms. Labor, if you're going to go into childbirth here at any time soon. It's just overall good for your body. Okay, here we go. I will count down from eight. Eight. So clench. Release. Seven, clench, release, six, clench, release, oh, now I've lost count, five, Five. (laughs) clench, release, four, clench, 
release, three, clench, release, two, clench, release, and one, clench, release. It's so hard for me to do them and talk about them at hmm. the same time. Well, you're not clearly concentrating hard. Yeah. Because yeah. sometimes we'll do them to letters of the alphabet or moans or vibrations, and, and then it, it becomes even hmm. more tricky. Or, or like I'll, I'll read a promotion from a sponsor while I'm trying to do it, and it's, it's not happening. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. 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 But it's exciting. Sure. It's, it's good to get stronger in all parts of Absolutely. your body. Okay, we have one more thing to do. Okay. Which is to give the audience extra credit. A little homework so you don't forget it. Here's Dr. Dose's extra credit. We come up with an assignment related to maybe something we've talked about or something that you can think of in your profession that you wish this audience knew to improve their sexual health or mental health or lives in general. Hmm. All right. So I would say actually, I mean, if do I, you want me to come up with something? Is that what If you is? want to, yeah. I'm happy to. I would say part of like, so yes, try to be more honest with your doctor. You know, next Aww. doctor visit, see if, the, if they don't bring it up, then you bring it up and talk about any concerns or questions that you have about sexual health or sexual activity. I am amazed at how many of, you know, my friends, and granted, I'm probably older than your audience, but it's, uh, don't, absolutely don't. And I'm, I don't think enough young people do either. Who don't bring up? Don't bring it up. They don't talk about it. No, they think it's somehow just something you're not supposed to talk about, or you're just not that. That's not a good resource, and we could all try to make that better. What if though someone has an experience where the doctor or healthcare professional isn't receptive to that? I would question why you stay with that doctor. Like this always when people say that all the time, I'm like, there are good and bad doctors, just like there are good and bad mechanics, or good and bad plumbers, or good and bad therapists. Like you're not assigned for life. If someone isn't receptive to your needs and helpful and able to help you, then I don't know why you don't find a better doctor. My kid's doctor is amazing. Mm. Like I think she's the best pediatrician I've ever seen clinically. And if she wasn't, I would look for a new one. And if but I didn't you also doctor. have that opportunity, being that you're in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Some people live in rural communities where That's they don't true. have a lot of And I mean, get that, okay, so this is not a perfect you – know, don't get me started. I mean, we can talk about the healthcare <laughs> system, which is my bread and butter. So I don't deny that that's true and that some people probably have – of only a few choices. And and then again, you know, be, if you're uninsured or only have certain types of insurance, it gets even more limited. Mm. So I, this is an aspirational goal. It's not going <laughs> to be something that everybody can do. But I think a lot of people do have the ability to try to at least look for doctors who might better suit their needs. There are a lot of doctors out there. That's great advice. I love that. I love that homework. I think if I were to add anything to it, you could also well, you tell me if this is okay. Could you bring them information about a particular thing that's going on? Yes. So, for example, if you feel like you're ready to transition from one gender expression to the the gender that you are, and you feel like your doctor is not educated in that and wouldn't know how to guide you, could you bring yes. reading material for that person yes. and resources? And I got to be honest with you. This is where it's also if – if I had a patient who brought questions to me that I didn't know the answer to, I would immediately say – you know what? I don't have all that information, but I bet we can go find a good doctor 
I mean, granted, I work in a large medical system, mm -hmm. but I'd be like, I bet I know three people who would be amazing at that. You know, let's see if we can, you know, set up an appointment or try to figure out how to get you the information that yeah. you want. But I'm, I'm a primary care doctor. It's like, I don't know everything, but it's my job when people come to me with problems to help them figure out how I get them the resources that they need. So that's part of what I do. I love it. We that's try. So you. <laughs> that's really great. Second homework assignment, maybe read Aaron's books. <laughs> One of them, all of them. That'd be great. Yeah. If you're not a reader like me, I, I do struggle with books. Aaron and I talked about this earlier. Uh, just try the first paragraph and see if it's maybe titillating enough to read a second paragraph. I promise it's a readable book. Like, I'm not writing high literature here. It's a, <laughs> It's it's a very, very readable book. It will not take you too long. Well, and you're so well-spoken and thoughtful. And I think something I admire about you is that you're so gentle with the human experience, right? I think that some people in positions of power or leadership might say, okay, here's the pinnacle. This is how you need to be. And I'm going to write the book that teaches you how to get there. And I think that something I see in both your YouTube channel, your writing, your conversations with me is that you let people be people. You mm. say, oh, well, here's you. where you are and you are okay. Yeah, I, I like to think that that's what I'm doing, but that's, I really appreciate your saying that. Well, it's very nice. It's true. And, and, and I don't think that you just leave them there. I think you give them suggestions for how they can do themselves differently. But I don't think that you're, you know, pushing anyone to be superhuman or godlike you're just like hey, yeah hang out with me i'm a human you're a human let's do the best we can as humans that's really nice i appreciate that oh, that really means a lot good well thank you for being on sexplanations podcast oh, thank you for having me yeah it's such a good time i'm so glad you're here in missoula visiting from indiana and um we're gonna go do something on your podcast mm -hmm. So if you want to check that out, please. where can they go? We are we haven't even released it yet. So depending upon when you yes. actually release this, we might not be up yet. I think we're aiming for this month, which is October, to try to get it going. But uh, the podcast is new. But they can always go check out Healthcare Triage, which is on about two times a week. Well, thank you, Aaron, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Wow, I'm so glad. Uh, I also want to thank Cinema Studios Complexly, and Count Boogie, who does the jingles, and Cora Amparo, I'm Still Learning. Yeah.